Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This is, again, this is one of those passages we tend to read around Christmas time, Isaiah chapter 9. And this is one of those places where Isaiah was talking about something in his day, but also something way down the road with Jesus coming. And, and really, this particular passage starts back in chapter 8, and I would highly recommend that you go back and start with verse 19 of chapter 8, because it's fantastic. Anyway, talking about uh, the darkness and the doom and the gloom kind of thing, and then we get to chapter 9, where it turns. But before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us, Lord, we ask and that today you would help us not to take your word for granted. God, that uh, we would have ears that are ready to hear. God, that we have, would have minds that are ready to think and understand. God, that we have hearts that are ready to be changed by you. God, that we would reflect you more and more into this world as we come to love you more and more with all our heart, all our soul all our mind, and all our strength. Lord, and as we learn what it means to really love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. After all the doom and gloom, it says then, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered them. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them. It's different. The The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Turning then to our New Testament lesson. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Peter, of course, is writing to those he identifies as God's elect who are exiles scattered throughout the provinces. So it's kind of fun to be reading a, uh, a letter written by one of the uh, disciples who's closest to Jesus, writing this letter to believers in Jesus who are not right where he is, but who are scattered all over the place as exiles. And <clears throat> here's what he says. This is First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, 
a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thanks to whoever got me this water. My apologies for my voice today. Once again, I had a lot of sneezing that took place earlier. It's that time. Um, And when it happens, it takes hours before my voice is back. And so, sorry about that. Uh, We will make it through. Uh, So our sermon text this morning is actually John chapter 12. It's only verses 34 to 36 which that's not a lot of verses. Normally we take quite a few more than that at a time. And, uh, but this time we're focusing just on this one little interaction and it's a small interaction that Jesus has uh, with the crowds, but it's significant. It's an important interaction that he has with them. And, uh, and we're going to take a look at this particular passage uh, where Jesus talks about light and darkness as a way of helping us understand who he is and the life he's calling us into. You see, one of the reasons that we are doing things the way we're doing them right now is to keep things as normal as possible. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in the world. And uh, a lot of things that we are used to aren't happening the same way right now. And so uh, we want to to keep this as normal as possible, even while it's kind of weird. And uh, so we're going to just keep on our plan of uh, marching through the book of John because that's what we were doing. We're, we're continuing to sing the same songs that we have been singing. And one of the things that I hope that we see in the midst of all this is as we're going through these things, that the songs that we sing today, that we've been singing for weeks and months, that these same songs speak to what we're going through today, even though everything else seems kind of weird and different. But the message is the same. And the same thing with the passages that we're going through today, as we look at uh, what Jesus says about light and darkness here, it actually has something to do with what we're going through now. And so uh, it's yet another example of the way in which God's word speaks to all people at all times. And so we don't need to go, hunting around looking for passages that are particularly appropriate for today because they're all applicable and appropriate uh, for right now. So we're going to look again, like I say, at John chapter uh, 12, verses 34 to 36. And just for a little bit of context before we dive in, this is after Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday And so Palm Sunday, we know, is the Sunday just before Easter Sunday. And uh, that's because it was one week between 
when Jesus rode into town and when he raises from the dead, which means something else happens between those two Sundays. And that, of course, being Good Friday when Jesus goes to the cross. And so we are already between Palm Sunday and uh, Good Friday. And so Jesus is on his way to the cross. He knows that. Nobody else knows that. And so this is, once again, a moment where uh, his speaking to everyone is preparing them for what is coming. We're going to see this a lot more as he kind of drills down with his disciples and they, uh, they socially distance themselves from everybody else for the Passover meal <laughs> and they get together in the upper room and Jesus spends hours and hours talking with them and showing them through several uh, acts that he does that night, showing them what is coming and how they are to live in the situation that they did not see coming. So this is kind of his last uh, public conversation with everybody before he goes into that room with the disciples. And here's how it goes. They've kind of already been in the middle of things. He says he's going to be lifted up from the earth. And then verse 34, the crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? And Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Like I say, short passage. There's a lot in here. But uh, the main ideas are exactly what Jesus tells the people to do. He gives them two things to do, even though they don't know what's coming. And so that is what we're going to really be looking at before we get into that. Uh, Let's look at the question they ask. Because the way that they set up the question is kind of um, in three parts. They have sort of the the pre-question the sub-question, and then the main question they're asking. The pre-question is just simply that we have heard from the law the Messiah will remain forever, right? That's what they've heard, that the Messiah is going to remain forever. And there are passages like that in the Old Testament, that this one one who is going to be the Messiah is going to reign forever. His throne will last forever. And, uh, and so then they say, well, how then, this is the sub-question, so how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Like, this is the point of confusion for them. How is it that you have someone who lasts forever, but also is killed? Now, there's another possibility in how they might be reading this, and that would just be uh, rather than the Son of Man and the Messiah being the same person and saying, how can you reign forever and die, which is exactly what Jesus is going to do. He's going to die and reign forever. How does that work? Stay with us. We'll see. Uh, But the other way they might be taking this is by saying the lifted up part as exaltation, because we talked about that wordplay a couple weeks ago, how Jesus talking about being lifted up is a way of talking about his reigning forever and also of his being lifted up on the cross. And so you look at this, they might be saying, well, we know the Messiah is going to reign forever, but now the son of man is going to be lifted up? How can they both reign? That doesn't work. Uh, if they're seeing them as two separate people. 
Anyway, so this is the, the time where they're going to be asking for clarification. And, you know, you kind of expect Jesus to say, oh, here's the way this works. Oh, the, the main question, I forgot to tell you that. The main question they then ask is, who is this son of man? Who is this son of man? What does, what do you say about him? It's almost like Jesus' question that he has to the disciples in um, Matthew 16 when he says, uh, you know, who do people say that I am? Oh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, uh, or one of the prophets. And he says, okay, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And it's like that same sort of thing, except that now the crowds are asking Jesus. And they're saying, who is the son of man? And here's something fascinating. I never knew this until just this week in preparation for today. This time that they ask, who is this son of man? That is the only time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that anybody says the phrase son of man besides Jesus. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know that because if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see son of man, son of man, son of man all over the place. You just kind of assume it's one of those things that everybody's saying. But no, (laughs) it's always Jesus saying it, except right here. And so it's almost like he's been saying the son of man this, the son of man that. In fact, just a few verses earlier uh, in, in in John 12, verse 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. This is the way that Jesus is identifying himself. And we talked a lot last week about why he's referring to himself as son of man, particularly as it related to Daniel chapter 7. If you missed that, go back and watch it. It's flipped sideways online, but whatever. Uh, that's, that's my fault. I apologize. But what we looked at in Daniel 7 is how he had this vision of all these beasts that were uh, ruling over people, but not like people were supposed to. They were ruling over people like beasts who wanted to devour and to destroy and to kill. And that's not how it's supposed to be. And when things were getting worse and worse and worse and worse, then in his vision, he sees one like a son of man. And we talk about how Jesus is the one person who should be king. And the good news is that this one person who should be king is the king. And so it's almost like at this point, so we talked about that last week. And it's almost like at this point, that is what they were expecting. It's almost a sermon like that. They say to Jesus, who is this son of man? You keep saying this. <laughs> you keep on using that word. And uh, so they expect Jesus to then say, well, let me tell you all about the Son of Man. And then if you read these next couple of verses, he does not mention the Son of Man. What? Here's what he says. They start talking, you know, they finally catch on. He's the Son of Man, but what does that mean? And then his answer to them is all about light. All about light. And here's what he says. Uh, Jesus said to the, told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. This is the first part. He basically gives uh, two main things he says, and they are in the same format. Um, makes a statement, then gives some instruction, and then gives the reason for that. And this time, the, the statement is just simply this. Um, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Now, here's the mental image that I hope you have in mind when you're hearing this. Uh, We don't think a lot about light and darkness in these terms these days, but sometimes we do. So I'm going to try to paint the picture for you, and that is the picture of traveling. Traveling not by car, not by car with headlights, but traveling, uh, you know, something we used to do back in the day when we'd actually go places. (laughs) And to travel 
say from, um, from your house to a distant neighbor's house and you got like you know, 10 miles to go and you're going by foot. And so you're off and you're traveling, but you're not on necessarily roads. You're kind of taking a shortcut through the countryside. And so you've got 10 miles to cover, but it's okay because you can see they've got the house on the hill. And all you have to do is just keep going in that direction. You'll get there. And if you start your trip early in the morning, you don't really need to hurry. You kind of take your time. You can still see where the house is. It's a clear day. Everything's lovely. And if you want to stop and rest for a bit, if you want to you know, pull out your picnic lunch, fine. Have at it. But if you notice that the sun is getting low in the sky, the shadows are getting long, and the house is still far away, there's a different urgency about that. Because if the darkness overtakes you, <laughs> If the shadows get so long that the shadow of the earth itself envelops you and what was a nice, lovely day changes, and that trip is a very different trip. There is a reason that children uh, are afraid of the dark. It's because you can't see what's there. There's a reason adults don't want to be out after dark on a trip like this. It changes. You don't see what's out there, but not only do you not see what's out there, you don't even see which way to go anymore. And so what was easy to see, just stay this direction and there I go, now becomes, I don't know. I could have been wandering around in circles for hours, not getting any closer. I'm still taking steps, but I have no guarantee that my steps are getting me any closer to my goal. This is the image that I think we're supposed to have in mind when Jesus says, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. The sun is setting. There's an urgency. So he says, walk while you have the light. Don't let the sun go down. You have an opportunity now. Make the most of the opportunity now, or the way we say it, make hay while the sun shines. Walk while you have the light. And the reason it says before darkness overtakes you, another uh, what I consider a better translation would just be uh, so that the darkness will not overtake you, may not overtake you, so that uh, it won't get you, (laughs) that you will be safe at your destination before the sun goes down. That's the idea. The whole thing here is he's saying, make the most of this opportunity. Make the most of this moment, of this day while the sun shines, while you have the light. Okay, so then he just says it again, but with, Uh, other words. Another statement, another instruction, another reason. The statement is, whoever walks in the dark does not know what they're going, does not know where they're going. That's the taking steps, but I don't know if I'm getting any closer, right? Then he says, so here's what to do. Believe in the light while you have the light. Why? So that you may become children of light. Become children of light. What does that even mean? (laughs) It just means to have the characteristics of light. That's what it means to be a child of. And so uh, it says in earlier in John chapter 1, uh, all who received into those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And what we talk about with being children of God is that we begin to grow up to look like him. We begin to reflect him. And what it's saying here is the same sort of thing, that we begin to reflect the light of God in our lives. 
That's what it means to be a child of light. And uh, in the same way that when Barnabas gets his nickname Barnabas, <laughs> uh, this is the son of encouragement. That's what that means. That he has the characteristic of encouragement in his life, and so they call him son of encouragement. And so that uh, we as, as Christians could be called children of light as we reflect the light, as we have that characteristic. Um, what are the characteristics of light? Look, this is one that shows up in Genesis chapter 1. I think it's like verse 3. God says, let there be light, and there was light. I mean, it starts early, early in the Bible, and it goes all the way through this theme of light, and this theme of light uh, versus darkness. And, um, and darkness is always the, the chaos and the unknown and the, and the wicked and the evil. That's the darkness. This is where, you know, we talked, oh, a while back when it came up again in John because, hey, John mentions light a lot. <laughs> and we talked about how we've got that expression maybe your moms said as you were children of nothing good ever happens after midnight. This, the, the wickedness that hides in darkness uh, the thieves that hide in darkness. Uh, nobody who's doing what is wrong wants the light to shine on them because it shows what they're doing wrong. But what we talked about is how the light of God does shine on us. And it does expose us. And it does show uh, our own darkness. But it shines on us, not like you know a mocking spotlight that comes on us so everybody can point and laugh. It's not that. It's the, the spot, it's the bright shining lights of an operating room that shows where the cancer is so that it can be removed. This is the light uh, that shines on us from God. And this is what we are to have the characteristics of, to have that helpful healing light that comes from God and works its way in us and then through us. This is what uh, Jesus means when he says that we may become children of light. How is it we become children of light? He says, believe in the light. That's the command. Believe in light. So the first one is walk in the light. The second is believe in the light. Well, what in the world does believe in the light mean? Does it mean just to believe that light exists? Surely not. I think everyone automatically believes that light exists. What he's saying is to trust in the light. To actually trust in the light. Uh, that what it's showing you is reality. Can you imagine what it would be like if you were uh, in that situation where you've been wandering around in darkness trying to get to your friend's house and you're like, I don't even know where I'm going, but maybe this way is the right way. And then the sun comes up in the morning. You've been wandering around all night. You still haven't made it there. The sun comes up in the morning and you're like, oh, there's the house on the hill. I'm going the wrong direction. Can you imagine if at that point you said, hmm, probably not though. My eyes are probably just tra- playing tricks on me. That, I bet it's not really over there. I'm going to just keep going the way I was going. <laughs> no, that doesn't make any sense. Once you can see that it's over there, the idea is now trust that the light is showing you what is true. Turn and go <laughs> where you're supposed to go. That's what it means to believe in the light. That's what it means to trust in the light. And of course, when we're looking at uh, light, this is, this is the answer Jesus gives to the question, who is the Son of Man? 
why now? Now that we've talked about this whole illustration he's giving, why in the world would Jesus answer the question, who is the son of man, by giving us this sort of parable and description and instructions about light? Well, if you turn all the way back to John chapter 1, it begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Same image. Same image, but who's John talking about when he says this light shines in the darkness? He's talking about Jesus. He's uh, taking this image of the word and this image of light, both of which show up all over the place in the Old Testament. And he's bringing those together just like it does in several places in the Old Testament. Um, Psalm 119, 105, for example. Your word is a, I can't remember the exact wording, lamp to my feet, a light for my path. Thank you. <laughs> yes. It combines these two. And what's happening in John is he's saying, yes, the word is the light and the word is Jesus and the light is Jesus. And this is what Jesus is saying. Uh, he then actually says that in John chapter eight, if you kind of skip forward to there, John, Jesus actually says, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me, is that right? will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you have word, you have light, you have life, and you have all of it wrapped up in the person of Jesus. So when they say to Jesus, who is the son of man? He says, you have the light, <laughs> but only for a little while. He knows he's on, the way to the, on his way to the cross. That's what this last verse is about when it says, when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This is kind of the end of his public ministry. But they didn't know that. This is, I really think, a helpful passage in looking at what we have been learning recently about taking things for granted. I have learned a lot about myself personally recently about what I've been taking for granted. Things that you think, well, get to that later. It'll always be there. Maybe not. And I think that there were people in Jesus' day who thought, eh, we'll come back. We'll ask him more tomorrow. But he wasn't going to be there tomorrow. And we tend to put off the things that we think we can do that later. One of the things, of course, that's been coming to mind is coming to church on Sunday mornings, something we take for granted. Yeah, we can just do that any Sunday. And right now things are different. And we can't in the same way we could. Now, because of all this, there's a lot of grief. There are a lot of things that we had been taking for granted, and now we are recognizing the loss that we have. Several weeks ago, we talked about uh, the stages of grief, denial and anger and bargaining and depression, acceptance. And I think everyone in the world is grieving right now. 
the losses of things that we thought would be there, the losses of things that we were looking forward to that now aren't going to happen, things that have been canceled or changed to being virtually unrecognizable. There's a lot of grief. And so we go through anger and uh, denial and and depression, and we do these kind of together or alone, and often without even realizing that's what we're doing. But here's the good news. While there is a lot of loss and there's a lot of grief, there's a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where Paul talks about the grief of death, of those who have died. And he says, excuse me, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Point is this. In the midst of our grief, we can grieve as people who still have hope. We have an opportunity now to change the way that we view the whole situation. There's a lot of negative out there, and I don't want to downplay any of that. But what I do want to say is we don't have to focus on the negative. We don't have to be defined by the negative. In fact, what we have is a light that can shine in the darkness. And we have an opportunity now where uh, we can look at what we do still have instead of looking at what we've lost. And what we do still have is the word of God and the light of life. We have Jesus, our Savior, who has saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We have the one who is the Son of Man, who is the Messiah, who is the one person who should be king, who is the king. And we can still today walk in the light while we have the light. Make the most of this opportunity. I want to leave us with um, a passage from Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about this, the church in Ephesus, the same kind of idea, what it looks like to be uh, following the light and to become these children of light. This is Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to mention, even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, 
But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to not take it for granted. Lord, we pray that you would help us to make the most of the opportunity that you have given us, the opportunities, opportunities that we have to grow closer to you through your word, opportunities we have to grow closer to you through your word made flesh in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to take the gospel message for granted. Help us not to take your love for granted. Help us not to take our families, our friends, help us not to take our church family for granted. Lord, help us not to take the, um, the light that you give us of what it means and what it looks like to truly love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to truly love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us not to take that light for granted. Help us to make the most of this opportunity to shine your light into this world. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.